Thanks for listening to the Mark Aram Show podcast. Thanks for Xfinity for sponsoring said podcast. A couple of things in life I don't skimp on. Toilet paper, razor blades, seafood. I want the best of the best when it comes to all three. And internet. That's why I use Xfinity Internet. And it's the amazing 10G network. The 10G network from Xfinity, the future starts now. Smarter, more consistent, and a secure network. And it only gets better. Jump on board the Xfinity 10G network online. Just go to Xfinity.com. I'm WSB's Mark Aram. The WSB 24-hour breaking news center is on alert. alert. Immediate breaking news. Severe weather alerts. Traffic red alerts. From Cobb to Cherokee. Carroll to Gwinnett. Fulton to Forsyth. And all the rest. All the rest. WSB. WSB. Depend on it. No, I want this town to be near you. No, gray skies ever turn blue. I stand alone. I stand alone. Welcome to the show and a good Friday Eve to you. Mark Aram here, you there. This is the Mark Aram Show, heard Monday through Friday, 10 to midnight on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Uh, glad you can make it tonight on this Friday. This has been a very difficult week on the Mark Aram Show. Normally, we keep it light and fluffy and funny. But we've had some awful stories this week. The two teens murder in Roswell and then the two hot car deaths last night. The twin 15-year-old, uh, 15-month-old toddlers. Um, I, I want to break free of the uh, heavy news chains tonight and bring the funny into the studio. So I literally brought funny into the studio. He is comedian Tom Rhodes. He is at the punchline this weekend. Tom, welcome to the Mark Aaron Mark, Show. shalom, amigo. <laughs> uh, right, it's buddy. been a terrible year in general yeah. for news. 2016 just... It's been a really rough year. It's been This has been the year of uh, memorial light shows. Prince died. Everything was illuminated right. purple. Yep. The Orlando Pulse nightclub shootings, and everything was illuminated rainbows. Yeah. You know, it's been a rough year. We don't. We and don't I'm from anymore. Orlando, by the way. Are you really? Yeah. That was. Uh... I think our response to the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting is we should become the gayest country on earth <laughs> to really like kind of mock uh, the, yeah. the you know. Uh, fanatical. But, but that shooter turned out. I mean, I'm sorry, you don't go there for three years just to do. Recon. He was a closet queen yeah, yeah. who had been probably rejected by some cute Latin guy, exactly. and uh, it probably had nothing to do with ISIS. Yeah, because even even ISIS isn't like, all right, do three years of reconnaissance work at the gay club and tell us what you do. I mean, right. that, <laughs> that's a little above and beyond the call of duty for that guy. But uh, I'm glad we're going to keep it light, and you bring up the nightclub show. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, so I've seen you on stage at the Punchline probably a dozen times. Over and the I, years. I was your favorite comedian, You're and hilarious. you wanted me to come in yeah. and soften the mood for. Is the this people. your first time at the new Punchline? Location? It is. Yeah. yeah. Are you excited about that? I mean, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I, last night uh, was the first show, and it's uh, it's a good room. It's it's danceable, and uh, I give it a nine. <laughs> But it's got to be a little bittersweet. I mean, the, the old punchline was iconic as far as stand-up locations were concerned. Yeah, in the old club, uh, I started out on the Southern Circuits, and uh, I played in every town that ends in Ville or Borough <laughs> in the Southern United States. And then the Atlanta punchline was like the premier comedy yeah. club of the Southern United States. And that was like the first A room yeah. that I got in with. And I, I emceed there for years. I was the middle act for years, and then they were like the first ones to headline me before I had television. I think the last time I saw you, 
might have been right before the punchline closed. Didn't you come in and do a show? I did. Right yeah. before the yeah, that yeah. that was the last time I saw. I you, did so. a three hour and forty minute set on the last night. I did not see that. Set. They would not. I, they, <laughs> you know, I I really I really loved that place. I kind of grew up there. Yeah. And then Cafe Two Ninety was right across. Um, the parking lot, we the go for premier after that. Uh, black jazz club of yeah. Atlanta, and I think that uh, place did more for rela- race relations than um, any Martin Luther King Jr. speech because there were so many interracial uh, hookups. Yeah, that, you that just happened bounced there. back uh, uh, many nights. I, I yeah, I, I would, really enjoyed. Uh, Cafe I, I, I hosted one night, and in between, I would go across to uh, the cafe, have a beverage, come back. Yeah, you know, intro it was perfect. The next comedian, and right. there was a lot of history in that. Um, the what was it called? The uh, balcony shopping cloister. <laughs> uh, Richard Pryor owned that at one. No point. kidding. Yeah, and so did Gladys Knight at a different. That's amazing. Uh, so a lot of great history there. All right. Well, Tom Rhodes is at the Punchline, the new location in Buckhead, inside the Landmark Diner, uh, Peach Roswell Road and Piedmont Road. Very uh, historic intersection there. Um, we were talking off the air. You lived uh, a nomadic life for a while that I'm very envious about. Tell, tell, you didn't have a, a residence for how long? Ten years. Ten years. You just I put everything into storage because I got um, I, I got onto the international comedy circuits mm-hmm. and I was playing all over the world. So um, I would spend like three to five months every year in Europe doing shows everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to Australia for a month, New Zealand for a month, Asia for a month. Uh, and then five, six months of the year, um, touring relentlessly all over the United States. Was that is that as fun as it sounds? Or is <clears throat> yeah, it- my wife is from Holland. Mm-hmm. She's a photographer, and she's traveled with me for the last eight years. And uh, the last four years in a row, uh, when we had time off, we would go to Rome every year wow. and rent an apartment. Not Rome, Georgia. No, Rome. Yeah, Italy. Italy. Okay, we'd rent an apartment for uh, a couple weeks. <laughs> And pretend like we lived there. That's uh, two awesome. years ago, we did a month in Asia, and then we went to Bali for a couple weeks. Um, I stopped drinking two years ago, but when I was still drinking, uh, when we had time off in the States, we would go to New Orleans a lot, or Austin. So depending where we were in the world, we would go, because we didn't live anywhere, we yeah. got to live anywhere everywhere, so wherever how, we felt like. I, I, I've always dreamed of doing that. Not necessarily for that long of time, but just take a year or two off and just be there just be out there and go wherever i wanted wherever the wind blew where would you go uh well i've never been to europe so definitely never been to europe yeah wow so i would i would do i'm actually thinking about doing one of those european river cruises does that sound weird is that no that the one along the rhine yeah along germany that's pretty nice especially if you're if you like riesling uh (laughs) white wines that's a little sweet for my taste yeah yeah, but I, yeah, I, I like the. I've one. never been, so I figured if I'm gonna go, I want to hit as many places as possible. So I don't know, the I, I I talked to someone that took a river cruise, my aunt, and she's like, Mark, you'd be 30 years younger than anyone else. Yeah, that, that is an older person <laughs> thing to older, do. Yeah. It's not like those all-you-can-drink booze cruises. <clears throat> it's you know old retirees. Uh, Amsterdam is one of the best. I lived in Amsterdam for five years. Yeah. I had a late-night talk show on Dutch television for three years. So how does that work? How do you get a late a late night show on Dutch television? Um, I started. I I got in with London, and London for me was the key to the international circuits. Mm-hmm. And I I was playing in London a lot. That led to gigs all over Europe. And then I fell in love with a Dutch girl. Yeah, not the woman that you I married. ended up marrying. Her sister. 
And um, I was there for two years, and then the girl uh, broke up with me. I was just about to move back to the United States when these people from this Dutch television network saw me performing at this comedy club in Amsterdam called Tumler, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Jewish-Yiddish word for traveling merrymaker. Nice. Best name for a comedy that. club ever. Okay. Uh, and they were looking for an American host a late night talk show. And they saw me and they said, that's the guy. And I got to, um, and I don't even speak the language. I was about to say, that's, and that's so another language. That's how smart <laughs> Dutch people are. They can all be interviewed in English. Um, in English. I had some American celebrities. Uh, Tenacious D was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on YouTube. I showed them around Amsterdam. Uh, we had Steve O from Jackass. There's no censorship on Dutch television. Sure. So you can, you can say anything, you can show anything. Mm-hmm. He stapled his scrotum to his thigh on oh, and Dutch see, television, well, that's the they guy showed from, it. Yeah, they do stunts <clears throat> like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, he's a strange, peculiar man um, who should probably be locked up. So were you, I mean, you could w- walk around Amsterdam and be like, oh my God, that's the, the American guy. Well, Dutch people are unimpressed with celebrity. Okay. So my wife, actually, when I met her, it worked against me that I had been on television. Sure. Um, she had to get to know me before she And she's thought. a photographer. What kind of photography does she She's have? into street photography. Okay. So she really took advantage of our traveling around the world. I would I would imagine. I'm, yeah. s- I'm so how many China passports do you, have you gone through over I'm the years? I'm on my third passport and I you can have two extra um twice you can have extra pages put in it. Okay. So uh, I mine is the regulation fattest that an American <laughs> passport can be. I'm I'm super envious of that. I want to do that. So I want to fill up a freaking passport. I've got right now. I've got uh, Aruba. I've been to it. I've um, <laughs> that's it. <clears throat> when I, my late night talk show in Amsterdam, uh, when it finished, if that was not fortuitous enough, mm-hmm. uh, the same network let me be a presenter on a travel program for a year, and I did a highlight on the Dutch Caribbean. So I went to Bonaire, yeah. Curacao, and Aruba. And Aruba. Yeah. Nice people in Aruba. It was yeah, Aruba's really nice, there. and it's that it's catered to American tourists. They, they so. are the natives are so. I don't know the word I'm looking for. They they overcompensate for the Natalie Holloway thing. Anyone any native I met was like, it's not like that. People don't usually yeah. die down here. It's really yeah. Nice. No, that was a really bizarre thing to happen. Yeah, I guess it crushed the tourism for a little bit down there um, after her death because. Americans were freaked out. They didn't want to, to go to Aruba. So, even, like, the local fisherman was talking about it. I'm like, it's cool, man. I'm not holding it against you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm having fun. Tell me, Tom, what's the difference? You know, you've, you've performed comedy all over the world between American audiences and international audiences. Do you have to change your material, your set, your delivery? What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, that's the exciting thing is to modify it in every country that you go to. Like, um, it's different in Ireland what works in... Uh, England mm-hmm. or France or Holland and you know Atlanta is different than San Francisco and New York and Chicago mm-hmm. so um, for me that's the exciting thing about doing the international circuits is you know you have to modify it kind of on stage uh, on the fly yeah. so um, you know you'll you'll lose probably 10% of your references and things you're talking about but what you lose in references, you gain in observations because most every country loves when a foreigner 
gives their impression of, of their how country. they see their country. So is it, uh, so is that a big draw? Like if you go to Australia or New Zealand, you're <clears> performing. <throat> it's like does the club go? We've got uh, American comedian Tom Rhodes here. Yeah, today. you know, you're like a exotic creature. <laughs> yeah, really, as Americans, yeah. you're like an exotic creature that uh, they don't get uh, a lot of Americans. Um, when I was single and performed in Australia, um, the women really like Americans. Yeah. And uh, this one Australian woman um, who I got together with told me that uh, you have the accent of the movies. <laughs> so as Americans, nice. we forget that. Yeah, you know, they Selleck. watch our television shows. <laughs> we don't think we're exotic. No, not at all. We think, ah, oh, we're like some we goofy they're, American. They're exotic. Right. Yeah. They, the, the Australian accent's yeah. really Super um, hot. Uh, cotton candy in the eardrum. <laughs> exactly right. Um, but yeah, we, to, uh, to a lot of people, um, we're exotic. That That's so interesting to me because I, I think of stand-up comedy as strictly as an American art that might not translate in other countries. But. Well, now it's taken off, uh, and I, I agree. I think we invented it. Mm -hmm. I think Mark Twain was the first stand-up comedian. Okay. And, um, you know, it's all over the world now. So there's stand-up in every European country, in Eastern Europe. In the last um, 20 years, uh, it, it's developed. There's great comedy scenes all over Asia. Yeah. And uh, it's really exciting. I, like Singapore has its own scene. Kuala Lumpur. I played in Hanoi last wow. year. And this 19-year-old Vietnamese kid from Hanoi, the capital of our old enemy, exactly. opens the show. And his all-time hero is Eddie Murphy Delirious. That's a great... Specifically Delirious. Yeah. So he, And the guy had only been on comedy for like six months. But he delivered... So he's got no like you know thoughts or life sure. experience on anything, yeah. but he delivered everything like Eddie Murphy delirious. Yeah, he he's like, down. you know, when you're on your scooter <laughs> and your girl is on the back, <laughs> and somebody pulls up next to you with a red light looking at your girl, <laughs> and he's really acting it out yeah. like Eddie Murphy, and it's like he's got the thoughts of a 19 year old kid in Hanoi. That's it was it was hilarious, amazing. Hang tight, one more segment. I'd love to. All right, we're going to come right back. Tom Rose is at the Punchline this weekend. Shows tomorrow, 6, 8, and 10. Okay. All right, what do we think? Tickets online at punchline.com. Hang tight. More to come. This is The Mark Aram Show. The Mark Aram Show, brought to you by Low T Nation. You know what? I like the players. No dickity, no doubt. Welcome back. Friday edition of The Mark Aram Show. Uh, coming up, news, weather, and traffic in just a minute. Tom Rhodes in studio. Uh, he is at the Punchline this weekend. If you want to go see this amazing world-traveling comedian uh, at the Punchline, tickets available online at punchline.com. Uh, folks want to follow you, follow your career, uh, get more of the Tom Rhodes goodness. Where can we find you online, social media, and all that kind of stuff? On Twitter, I'm at underscore Tom Rhodes. And then Rhodes is R-H-O-D-E-S, like the Greek island. Uh, I have a fan page on Facebook, Tom Rhodes Fan Page. I have a podcast that I put out every week called Tom Rhodes Radio Smart Camp. Wow. And uh, every Friday on YouTube, I put out uh, these videos called Knowledge Nuggets. And they're little... Um, interesting factoids that I think people should be aware of. Like the one I put out um, uh, this week was about the history of the tango. The dance. The dance. 
Okay. Uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, his competition. Um, William Shakespeare, when he first started putting on Hamlet and Macbeth mm-hmm. and all these classics of English literature, at when he first presented them at the Globe Theatre in London, his primary competition from the theaters around the globe were th- shows where live animals fought to the death. <laughs> and the mo- Seriously. And the most popular one was a show where they would take a horse and they would put a monkey on top of the horse, and they would take five dogs that had not eaten in a week, release them into the theater, and they would claw the horse to death, and the show wasn't over until the monkey was dead. So, you know, um, being a comedian is a pretty cushy job compared to that. (laughs) On Uh, that note... No, I mean, imagine (laughs) being a theater goer back then, you know, uh, trying to decide which show you want to see. Well, that's a (laughs) toss-up. I love uh, love dogs and monkeys and horses, so I... I do, too. But that was... Those were the... Those were rough times. We we are uh, very blessed to be living in the time we have, in the time we are right now, in, in America. We're, we are, of the 100 billion people that have ever lived on this earth, we are in the top 0.1% of people right, to isn't live in it, 2016. Um, the, the, the poorest Americans are like uh, richer than 88% of the world, exactly. something like that. So this, here's a question I always ask, is would you rather be... Middle class American in 2016, or uh, an English nobleman in the 1400s? Oh, definitely now. I mean, those, they had bad teeth. They stunk. No bathrooms. The uh, life expectancy yeah. was what 32. Exactly. So yeah. we have it made. That's all I'm saying. We do have it That's made. All. Uh, uh, Tom Rhodes, funny dude. You got to see him on the Punchline stage tomorrow night. Three shows. We think six, eight, and ten. You can get the full schedule at punchline.com. Tom, pleasure to have you in studio, my friend. Mark, an honor to talk to you. Thank you, brother. News, weather, traffic next. This is The Mark Aram Show. I'm WSB's Clark Howard. From Cobb to Cherokee. Carol to Gwinnett. Fulton to Forsyth. All the Metro 11. You'll get severe weather. A traffic riddler. Breaking news. Breaking news immediately. Accurate. From the WSB 24-hour Breaking News Center. WSB. Depend on it. Welcome back to the show, 1037, 23 in front of 11. Mark Aram at your beck and call till midnight every Monday through Friday on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Still to come tonight on the program, Rick Springfield, the Lonely Tailgater, and Lou Gehrig. And I got to tell you this story later, Longoria. Last night we were talking about Waffle House and Jay Griff ordering french fries, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So in my head, I wanted Waffle House again, even though I had it for dinner last night. At three this morning on my way into work, I'm like, I'm going to stop at Waffle House and get breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I saw boobies in the Waffle House. Okay. 
real live boobies. Okay, okay. All right, I'll tell you that story. Okay. I saw your Facebook. Post, yeah, I, I didn't quite understand what you were talking. I saw about. boobies. Okay, at the Waffle House. Okay, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> um, all right, so I'll tell you that story. But I'm floating out a theory on this back to school. Everyone's back to school, back to school, back to school. Back in our day. Um, you had uh, two choices for lunch. Either your parents gave you your lunch in a brown paper bag or a lunchbox, if you're really spoiled. Right, yeah. <laughs> or you were like me in Longoria, and we went to the cafeteria, first through sixth grade, kindergarten through sixth grade, whatever, and you ate whatever they served you. You We weren't coddled. We didn't, you know, ask our parents, I want a tuna sandwich and a fruit roll-up and a cookie <laughs> and a juice box. We didn't have that. We had whatever the lunch lady was serving that day. Yep. Whether it was burnt pizza or uh, a quote hamburger or <laughs> yeah. whatever they were serving, we ate. And I think that prepared us better for life because we were we were taught at an early age, you're not always gonna like what you get, you're not always gonna get what you want, and you gotta deal with it. Yep. And I think the brown baggers, the lunchbox crew didn't learn that at an early enough age. So that's my theory. What are your thoughts on that? 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Dave's in Kennesaw. Dave, you're on the Mark Aram Show. Preach, brother. Welks, man. What's going on? Uh, I think you got a little bit of critics to your theory, but I'm kind of like the in-between. I'm kind of the mix. All right, talk when to I, me. I got one year on you, but when I was coming up in uh, grade school, you know, there were days where mom would send me with the sack lunch with a nice little note and the bologna sandwich. And then there <laughs> would be, certain... I'm sorry, I had to say it. That oh, day. no, I love it's it. Too funny. I love it. Um, and then there were days where, you know, I'd roll the dice, I'd take a buck to school, I'd get the sloppy joe. But oh. it also taught me to kind of plan ahead because on Fridays, it was either cheeseburger or pizza day. And in adult life, it's kind of taught me to, you know, kind of plan ahead and, you know, prepare for, you know, things that I, I know are coming up. So if it's something that I want, I know what I need to have for it. A majority but, uh, of the time, did you uh, did you lunchbox it or did you eat what they gave you? To be honest with you, it was 50-50. Really? Because, yeah, so because... Because uh, your parents whole... half loved you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your dad loved you, your mom hated you, that kind of thing. It, yeah, it's still that way today. <laughs> But, but uh, yeah, well, I guess you have the best of both worlds because you learned um, when you didn't have your lunchbox to deal with what life gave you. But like that other call, I think that was a valid point the other caller made. If you had the brown bag, you were part of the trading going on. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember doing much trading when you had the hot lunch from the cafeteria. No, because why would you want to trade what you your hot lunch for a cold sandwich? Yeah, or whatever. Maybe there were some side deals going on. Like I'll give you my applesauce for right. those pretzels or something that yeah. your mom gave you. Because I, I remember applesauce being a big thing in grade school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, every meal had applesauce. Mm -hmm. They must have gotten that stuff at bulk. <laughs> yeah, Applesauce so. was everywhere. Uh, Blake's in Roswell. Blake, you're on the Mark Aram Show. Yeah, hi. Uh, so I actually have a dissenting opinion about uh, this theory. Okay. Uh, based on uh, my life. Um, I always got uh, the school lunch, you know, in middle school. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I got into high school, you know, I had to pay uh, with my own money. You know, I worked at the grocery store when I was 15. But anyway, um, I'm 29 now, and I have to say I am, like, the farthest thing from a well-adjusted adult that you can <laughs> There might be other issues aside from school lunch uh, involved in that. So when you were in high school and you had to pay for your own lunch, did you buy it or did you make your own at home and bring it in? No, I bought it. Yeah. I always got the same thing every day, chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. But you had yeah. options. See, your age, you had options. 
you yeah, could, we did. You could have the chicken fingers or pizza or a salad, whatever. Right. Um, but I think I think in our formative years, I think high school is different. But I think grade school, because how many high schoolers, their parents, I hope, aren't making lunch for a high school kid, no, right? That yeah. doesn't happen. I'm yeah, sure there's a couple, not. but <laughs> yeah. But I think I think the formative years, like the grade school years, the elementary school years, that's where. You are you're gonna start to learn life lessons. And if if you are lunchboxing it, I don't think you learn those lessons as well or as quickly as the folks that are having to deal with whatever slop they give you. Now what happened what ha- what made you a, a maladjusted kid at twenty nine now? I don't know. <laughs> but I think it, it wasn't you can't blame the school lunch for that. Yeah. There's deeper issues there, Blake. <laughs> yeah, there we can is. we can talk about those on another show. But I got to talk to Nancy and Vinings because it's Nancy and Vinings. How are you, Nance? Nancy? Everybody Holy clap smokes. your hands. Oh. That never happens. That doesn't. Should we check her Met Alert bracelet? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we should. I'm seriously worried about Nancy. She has never missed a call like that. All right, Noah's in Conyers. Noah, you're on the Mark Aram Show. How are we doing tonight, Mark? What up, Noah? Uh, not much. Hey, um, elementary school, my parents sent me to school with lunchbox, except for on Fridays. Fridays was, I got to buy my lunch. At the, uh, okay, so, did you have a choice on Fridays, or is it, you liked whatever it was on Fridays that they gave you? It's whatever they slapped onto your tray. So by the, by the end of the week, your parents were like, we're done with you, you're on your own kind of thing. And then in middle school, they got too lazy, and I started buying my lunch. All right. Do you think the Monday through Thursday brown bagging, did that help you or hinder you in your development? Uh, It was lunch. (laughs) It didn't matter. Everything else was the part that mattered, learning everything and actually learning how to deal with other people. That's what really started developmental understood i think but i think a big part of that is lunch like you learn in grade school but what shapes your personality is what goes on during lunch and recess i think more than anything because that's where the social that's where the social structures are built and developed and you find your place in the world um so i i really think that's a very important thing what what kind of lunches did you get uh packed when you were a kid uh basically it was uh just like uh her a bologna sandwich most of the time it was fried, um, piece of fruit, and maybe a small bag of chips, and a quarter square I can get two milks. All right. Two milks, not just one. Spoiled guy. Yeah. So a bologna sandwich, chips, fruit, two quarters for a couple of milks. Brendan's in Atlanta. Brendan, you're on the Mark Aram Show. Hello, Mark. How you doing? What up, buddy? Well, I have a kind of a different theory. Okay. Because uh, I went to school in uh, Ireland. Oh, Nice. Um, both my parents were were my school teachers. That that so, means you had to be very well behaved. Well, I, actually, I was the worst kid. Oh wow! And in and, and high school, I ended up getting expelled. But that's another story. Holy smokes! All right. So, but, did your school teaching parents did they make you your lunch, or did you have to buy it? Well, I, I had lunch. I had lunch whenever I was in uh, primary school, elementary, mm-hmm. and. At the very end of the day, my dad would fill up a big bucket and give it and bring it back home for our dogs. So from an early age, I kind of hated school dinners because you knew it was eventually going to be dog food. Yes, and then when I went to when I went to high school, I went to a boarding school, and the the prefects would take the lunch down to the table, 
and they were all older than we were, so they would basically grab all the food and then and then let six of us get whatever food we could grab. So at the age of about 13, I decided I was completely against school dinners because, number one, they were disgusting, and number two, <laughs> all the other older guys would take all the food. Yeah. So at that stage, I kind of told my parents, listen, I want you to make my lunch. And thankfully, my mother, she made pretty good lunches, so... So I, I can have a different, different. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's Europe. What, what was it? Typical uh, bag lunch for you back in the day? What, what kind of food did you guys eat over there? Well, basically, you were given either like chicken or chips, chicken and French fries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were just given basically one meal. That was it. It was kind of like uh, being in a prison. You know, you were, there was no real choices. You know. <laughs> but when you started taking your lunch to school, what what did you bring from home? My mom would make uh, say ham and cheese with lettuce and tomato. Ooh. Which was which was okay in the winter time, but in the summertime, by the time you opened your lunchbox, it was completely it was all warm, it was completely all warmed and yeah. melted. So I would throw them away, and I'd I'd try to find ways to get some tickets or or barter to to get the school. Interesting. Lunch. I'm I've, the most. Thanks for the call, Brendan. The most interesting uh, aspect of that was learning what Irish kids took for lunch. Yeah, I bet I bet school lunches around the country, around the world, are v- oh very vastly different. different. Yeah. Vegemite sandwiches in Australia, <laughs> sushi mm-hmm. in maybe Japan, yeah, spare ribs in uh, in China, okay, linguine <laughs> and clam sauce in Italy. No, yeah. all right. Wayne's in Peachtree City. Wayne, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Mark, how you doing, man? Excellent. What's going on? I'm gonna throw ten years ten years on you over you right now. So when you had to take uh, you had to eat school lunch all the way to your uh, senior in high school, mm-hmm. so. So, and you end up appreciating it compared to how the world is right now. So, I agree with your theory 100. percent Yeah, I really do. But now, the most interesting school lunches of this is something called they served in Middle Georgia called a baloney boat. Can you picture what that was? A baloney boat that was served in the school system. Picture a piece of fried baloney. What happens to it? Shrivels it up into a cup. Then you put in a piece of school-born dried mashed potatoes, put it in the middle. Do you think you want to trade that thing away? It teaches you how to trade food <laughs> and how to appreciate it. I actually, I'm kind of into that bologna boat. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Fried bologna good. and mashed potatoes. Yeah. I'm all right with that. Yeah, but, but the freeze-dried <laughs> potatoes, man. Ah, yeah. But no, that, 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 that's, that's, that's the, the Macon, Georgia version in 1970. I could go oh, for cool. that. <laughs> I, I didn't have, my mom was not a, a bologna person. I didn't have bologna growing up. Really? Um, I didn't have uh, my first fried bologna sandwich till college. Wow. When I was working at a bowling alley, and the manager was like, you hungry? Because we had a snack bar. I was like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to make some fried bologna sandwiches. I was like, what the hell's a fried bologna sandwich? And he's like, you've never had one on it. So I said, no, I never had one. They were awesome. (laughs) It was really good. But I go back to your last guess on those. Bologna's great until it sits in when you're working during the summer. And I had to work with my dad every summer, every morning. It was, uh, you'd go out to work, working on the construction site. He owned a construction company. And we had the same thing. A bologna sandwich which sat in the tin lunchbox uh, all, all day long. And you ate it. Uh, the mayonnaise and everything uh, else. The bologna so, getting all sweaty. That's, yeah. I didn't grow up with bologna. You don't want just sweaty bologna. You don't want a sweaty bologna no. anywhere near your face. No. 404 872 1-800-WSB-TALK on Twitter at Mark Aaron. We're going to come back with more of your calls. Uh, floating out my theory about school lunches. I, I, I think most people are in agreement with me. My, my pull my theory out of my tush before the show is actually has, has some merit here, I think. All right, this is the Mark Aram Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. 1053, 7 in front of 11, 81 degrees on Peachtree. Kirk Mellish's full five-day forecast straight ahead. Back to the phones we go. Paul is in Decatur. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Paul, holy smokes, hold the phone. Please don't blow my cover. I'm trying to talk about the cafeteria food. Uh, All right, I need to talk to you, though. Well, let me let me... Finish my train of thought. Okay, you do. You talk cafeteria food, but don't hang up. Okay. All right, buddy. Uh, the, the, a lot of uh, American people and, and people in this country th- uh, think of cafeteria food choices, and they think of the USDA, but there's some new programs around the country called uh, Farm to School, and they're trying to match private farmers up with uh, public school systems that can buy something that's fresher and mm-hmm. maybe grown within 100 miles. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think the city of Decatur is trying to do it for some vegetables. And um, uh, there's a group called Georgia Organics. They have a newspaper uh, that called The Dirt, and they are uh, discussing some areas because there, there's so many vegetables grown in Georgia, especially south of Macon, down to Thomasville and Albany and Moultrie, Bainbridge. And uh, if, 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 you know, if like 5% of this could be sure, sure. bought by school system. But, but here's the deal, Paul. I'm, like, in 2015, it's a different world when it comes to school lunches. But back when we were kids, there wasn't farm to table. There, it was, you had one choice, that was it. You ate it, whatever they served you. Well, I think the choices will always kind of be limited uh, based on distance and price. But we might be able to grow... Uh, two or three things within 100 miles and uh, make it sure, something sure. that could help local people, not right. just growers in California. Let me jump in, Paul. All right, so did you hear what happened on Friday? No. So I called the Piccadilly manager Friday at 7 p.m. because we had arranged you were going to get there at 7.30. Uh-huh. And I said to the manager, hey, it's Mark from WSB. Uh, a guy named Paul is going to come in. I'm going to pay for his his dinner. And he's like, oh, he was already here. And I, I got there a little early. Yeah, um, uh, I appreciate what you what you're doing for me, and the the food was real good. And oh, you stayed in eight. We had catfish and we had broccoli and uh, um, chocolate milk. Excellent. Did you uh, did you meet anyone? I mean, did anyone come and and talk to you or? No, no. Um, it was kind of slow there, uh, but. Um, um, I like your show, and I'm glad you're on the air, and I think you're doing a good job by taking calls. Thanks, buddy. And um, so, do you want to do you want to try this again, where maybe uh, the three of us will meet you at Piccadilly? Um, Would I'm be- looking for a job right now. I, I I can't just go out and eat 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 at restaurants. But yeah. um, no, I mean I I owe you a meal. I mean I was supposed to pay for that meal. No, that's okay. That's okay. I I don't I I, I um. I uh, appreciate your friendliness, but okay. I, I um, uh, you got bigger fish to fry right now. Well, I'm um, I'm applying for some jobs uh, in the uh, health field, okay. and um, 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 but 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 back to this. Uh, look up Georgia Organics if you have time, and see what they're doing. But they have an office over, an office over near Monroe Drive. That, yeah, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. All right, so here's the deal, Paul. Thank you for the call. Great call as always. Please call back. Um, eventually, I, I do owe you a meal, so you're going to have to take me up on that at some point, because I, I meant to pay for your Piccadilly that night, but uh, our lines got crossed, my friend. Okay, thank you, Mark. All right, have a great night, Paul. All right, so Paul got catfish, chocolate milk, 
He ate. I and just broccoli. didn't pay for the meal. He just showed up too early. That yeah. was the only problem. We should have gone. That, we should have. I, I had to go out of town the next morning, and I was harried, so my apologies. But I'm glad uh, at least Paul got to Piccadilly and got to eat. I still owe him a meal. All right. Iowa News Weather and Traffic. That's coming up next. Then your calls. Then Rick Springfield, Lonely Tailgater, Lou Gehrig, and i got to tell you about the boobies that I saw at uh, the Waffle House this morning at 3 a.m. This is The Mark Aram Show. Thanks for listening to the Mark Aram Show podcast. Thanks for Xfinity for sponsoring said podcast. A couple of things in life I don't skimp on. Toilet paper, razor blades, seafood. I want the best of the best when it comes to all three. And internet. That's why I use Xfinity Internet. And it's the amazing 10G network. The 10G network from Xfinity. The future starts now. Smarter, more consistent, and a secure network. And it only gets better. Jump on board the Xfinity 10G network online. Just go to Xfinity.com.